Hello and welcome to Heilman and Haver, the stage and screen podcast, episode 33, coming to you from Casa de Quinn and 1111 Studios in beautiful Port Orchard, Washington. I'm Matt Haver. And I'm Greg Heilman. We're two local actors looking to hone our craft by exploring the best in local theater and on the big screen. Each week we bring you entertainment news and views, celebrate classic Hollywood, enjoy cocktails with a Tinseltown twist, interview talented local actors and directors, and chat with industry experts from L.A. to the U.K. Today is Friday, June 18th, and available now on our YouTube channel is our tribute to the Blues Brothers. We're back at the Bay Street Bistro swapping trivia and mixing up orange whips in honor of cast member John Candy. Father's Day is this Sunday, so tune in, then make reservations for you and Dad for the Bistro Sunday Supper, featuring ribeye and, of course, the orange whip. This Sunday, the 20th, celebrating this cult film that debuted 41 years ago on June 20th, 1980. And speaking of cult classics, thanks to everyone who turned out for Lebowski Fest last weekend at the Roxy. It was an incredible turnout, and we had a fantastic time introducing the film and giving away some great prizes. Join us next Saturday, June 26th, for the next installment of Movies of the Decade. For the 1960s, it's The Graduate, starring Dustin Hoffman, Anne Bancroft, and Catherine Ross. We'll hit the stage at 6.30 p.m. to kick things off, and we'll be joined virtually, as always, by TCM author and film historian Jeremy Arnold to introduce the film. And lots happening theater-wise around the area. Also on Saturday, June 26th at Western Washington Center for the Arts in Port Orchard, auditions, that's right, auditions, will be held for Gilbert and Sullivan's Pirates of Penzance. Call time is 12 noon at 521 Bay Street, Port Orchard. And at Bremerton Community Theater, it's Shout, the Mod Musical, playing now through June 27th. The show is directed by Ron Aton, and we hear there are over 180 groovy lighting cues handled with expertise by our friend and former guest Adrian DeGroot. So call 360-373-5152 or visit bctshows.com to get tickets and watch our page for Greg's review of Shout coming up next week. Well, we said it before and I'll say it again. The local theater scene simply wouldn't be what it is without our guest, actor, director, and set builder extraordinaire Gary Fetterplace. Gary joined us last week and returns this episode to share more of his expertise on set construction and stories from behind the curtain. Gary grew up and got his start in theater in England and attended the Italian Conti Stage School. His first professional stage appearance was at the London Palladium at the tender age of 11, with further appearances in London and on television. Gary first appeared in the U.S. in Jesus Christ Superstar at Bremerton Community Theater in 2004, and he has since appeared in nearly all the local theaters in over 75 productions either on stage or behind the scenes. Gary's also acted or been involved in nearly every Shakespeare production in the county since 2007. His first foray into producing and directing was in 2011, during the inauguration performances at BCT's RBS Hall. Since then, he has added his extensive carpentry and design skills to the local theater scene, most frequently at Bremerton Community Theater, Bainbridge Performing Arts, and Western Washington Center for the Arts, assisting with set design and building, including the five staircases and wraparound balcony of BCT's Romeo and Juliet, which was awarded Best Set Design by the Kitsap Sun newspaper for the 2015-2016 season. He is the president of the Lesser Known Players and has served as trustee and treasurer for BCT since 2009. We were so pleased for Gary to join us last week for our first post-COVID in-person interview, and we hope you enjoy the second half of the conversation. Where do you normally get the direction for a set build or, or a set design? Does it come from the director? The... It is mostly the director, yeah. So the director has to have some vision uh, of what, uh, what what they want, uh, and usually it's dictated normally by the entrances and exits. So that that's the very first starting point, um, you know. So uh, when we were doing uh, Boeing Boeing um, at BCT, you know, ah, uh, so there's uh, seven doors, <laughs> <laughs> seven. So that we, straight away we know, 
okay, so where are those going to be placed? Are we going to have some different levels? Um, you know, directors always would like to have levels, so it's interesting for the audience. You know, there's nothing worse than everything being on the same level. Um, so that's normally where it starts from. You know, the, the script is, is, is definitely dictating um, lots of uh, things, uh, normally the entrances and exits. So blocking um, would be done probably before the set design was finalized. Oh, yeah. And the set, you know, um, so, you know, if I'm working with Christiane, um, for instance, you know, she'll have a broad outline uh, of what she wants. Um, and then normally I, I, I go into the workshop to find, well, what have we got? <laughs> um, do we have seven doors? So for Boeing <laughs> Boeing, we didn't have um, seven doors alike. Uh, so that was the first problem, you know, and it's a, a modern apartment in Paris. And uh, I said, I think we've got to bite the bullet and go and out and buy brand new doors. Um, geez, thankfully I'm the treasurer, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that speaks to, I mean, in some situations, the, the set almost becomes a character in and of itself. You think of some of these caper type, you know, De- clue type shows. And it yeah. sounds like this one, uh, Boeing yeah. Boeing, is the same way. They become uh, just, I mean, they're an integral part anyway, but it almost is a character yeah. in and of itself. So, you know, when we did uh, The Mousetrap at BCT, um, and of course there's there's plenty of information on the internet, you know, so, you know, what's the design going to be? It's going to be pretty straightforward because there's so many entrances and exits and the script is definitely dictating where these doors are going to be because the actors make certain entries mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and you might be able to add something, Um uh, so we had a little passageway uh, around the back of, of one of our areas, which was kind of nice, you know. So you do end up with these other little bits and pieces that go in, but the script is often dictating it. And, of course, you can't, you know, so it's all very well once I've built it. Okay, so now someone's got to finish it. And that's when you really need, an, uh, you know, a scenic um, artist to come in to actually do something, you know, which was quite interesting with the mousetrap. I said to uh, Jeffrey, well, what we want is, uh, you know, traditional kind of Tudor panelling on the walls as if it's a manor house. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I'll get all that stuff up, but we've got to get it stained. Um, are you going to be okay? You and your cast are going to get that stained for us, you know? Yeah, yeah, no problem, no, no problem, Gary. I said, well, get some different stains first and try it so you can see what the different colours are so you can make a, a good informed decision. Um I think he kind of forgot that, <laughs> and we ended up with a quite a quite a deep brown. That I was I was going to say because I remember I remember doing the stain and helping out with that when I was in a show, and I don't remember going through different stain samples. Oh, no, I think he bought well and went with it because I was like, ah, well, <laughs> I'm sorry. Woodwork seems to be. I mean, it's it's a prevalent theme in a lot of these classic plays. Yeah. You know, a lot of these period pieces. And one thing we did on I remember Go Back for Murder was there needed to be a wooden floor. It looked like wood paneling. And so it was literally like brown paint with some streaks of black in there. Yeah. And you rolled it on, and I helped a little bit with that. And you know what? It was very convincing. Yep. And you threw a, an area carpet over that, and it and <laughs> really, you know, from 20, 30 feet, it passed. And that's why you need somebody like Tina Henley Hicks. Oh, man. That She's can a do magician. The, yeah. yeah. That can do the, 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 the scenic artistry. And, you know, yeah, Romeo and Juliet would not have looked like it did look if it wasn't for somebody like her that yeah. uh, the backdrop in appointment with death yep. i mean the oh, what the d- an incredible scene. sad yeah. desert scene yeah. yeah yeah and and we were we were uh, scheduled to have tina on the show and then covid hit yep uh so we will definitely get her she's on next talk on about the list her. yeah for sure. our local spotlights for, yeah, sure. for sure so as a theater fan and an actor yourself and a director what set design have you seen either uh local you know, community theater or professionally, Fifth Ave, Paramount, wherever you've been, Broadway, uh, that's most imp- impressed you or inspired you. Maybe you've taken things from to design uh, your own. 
every set I look at and it kind of inspires me to be quite honest, you know, and unless I've picked dreadful holes in it. <laughs> um, but, you know, you do see some incredible things over in Seattle every mm-hmm. time you go there, you know, you, uh, one particular show at uh, the, the main playhouse there. When we, we only fell into, we, we were actually in the theatre next door watching some Shakespeare and then we came out and we found this other show that was on. We said, we should come back on Monday and watch that show. And we did. And we went in there and they had a full interior house, two-story house on the stage. Wow. And it looked fantastic with this balcony as well that they crossed. And the staircase went up and then they crossed on this balcony to the bed to the master bedroom. And it, wow, it mm-hmm. was it was something out of a Hollywood house, you know, this set that they'd built. And you could just see the detail and the height and breadth of this thing was uh, the amount of man hours um, right. incredible. And when you when you think downstairs uh, at um, WWCA uh, at the set down there for the Box and Cox, you know, just a wall and three doors, right. you would think, well, that's a very simple set. Still, that was about forty man hours mm-hmm. to actually get that up, you know, because behind it you've got two black sc- screen walls too to. Uh, when those doors open, that you don't see anything behind it, you know. So it's more than just the the basic thing that what you see in front of you. I was going to get your take on on that because you're talking. You mentioned a set that's really detailed and complicated, and on the other hand, I've seen some shows that are on the other end of the spectrum, really simple. Newsies, for example, is really scaffolding that rotates around the stage, used for different purposes. Come from away mm-hmm. is really a set of chairs to represent the airplane. There's no airplane, you know, motif or anything like that. Is is simple good in some cases when it's done right? Is uh, what's your take on on that simple versus complex? Yeah, yeah. Um, for the right place, simple is definitely you know the way to go. You know, uh, if we're doing things up at uh, Bainbridge at the lesser known players, you know, the the Rolling Bay Hall there is so tiny. There's not much you can do in there. <laughs> um, so it's got to be simple. Um, it is a semi-black box production, basically. So you just have a few significant pieces that come on that you use. You know, and I, and I can see the, the benefit from either. You know, if, if you're doing a, a main stage production, most of the clientele, our old season ticket holders at BCT, they love to come and see a set uh, we did one down there for a show called Black Comedy, um, a show of uh, about when the, the power goes out, mm-hmm. uh, i.e. it's dark. Um, so what we decided to do was, uh, and that was with Tina Henley Hicks, we actually did a whole drop and we painted the frontage of the house on that drop and that's what the audience saw when they were sitting in the audience before the uh, basically the curtain went up and the curtain was the front of the house. And then once that front of the house went up, then you saw the interior of that house. Oh, cool. So the door, the front door, so the physical door now was actually on the stage where previously it was on the, on the actual painting that she did on the front. Wow. Uh, and then it went up and then you had this, you know. Um, so when you're doing a main stage production like that, you know, the audience are expecting not to see, you know, just a couple of boxes and so forth. Um, they are expecting to see something more inspiring. Um most of the local theaters, they're not they are not huge houses. Um, is there anything you have to think about as a set designer or builder as far as perspective goes? Is it mostly just keeping things simple enough to be visible and identifiable 
all the way in the back kind of a thing. Uh, you know, we talked to uh, Tommy Kurzman, and he is a makeup and prosthetics guy. He does hair, wigs, design. And he said that, you know, when you have a, a large theater, you have to make sure things don't look like a helmet. You know, it's got to look <laughs> like hair still from a distance, you know, through the opera glasses kind of a thing. Uh, and he's probably talking about, you know, seats of 10,000 at a time. But um, are there any things like that that you have to think about? Yeah, you do. And, uh, you know, certainly down at BCT, we, we end up sitting in the auditorium in all the different seats okay. to find out what are we looking at? You know, can I see that far corner? Mm-hmm. Can I see the wings? The wings are always a big issue. Uh, when we were doing that black comedy set, um, it was one of the first ones I did in 2012. Another two-story set. <laughs> and uh, we got it up, and it was in the wrong position. And we had to move it two feet to stage right. But we'd built the thing, and now we had to move it. <laughs> and uh, We moved it inch by inch, four of us. Inch, inch, inch. But it had to be moved two feet. And it was a big two-story um, thing that was, uh, you know, so yeah. Um, wow. At BCT, yeah, you, you, it's such a big, broad stage. You, you've got to make sure you're looking and, and seeing what the audience see. Can I see, you know, from the front row, do I see the lighting rigs, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the rigging system? No, I don't, because the blacks are in the correct place. Now, if I go to the back, is the black now actually covering <laughs> yeah. something else that somebody else can't see right. or could see or should have Am I looking up Quasimodo's cloak from yeah, here yeah, kind of a thing? Yeah. So it does get, yeah, you, you've got to be looking. Uh, WWCA is a very similar um, issue um, because it's such a broad, long um, expanse. So when we did the Crucible last year, we decided to actually shrink it back into the middle more because we Mm. needed to. We couldn't use um, that stage left. Um, So those poor little people sitting in those seats down there wasn't going to be a good view for them personally, you know. So uh, that was going to be a bit of a problem, but we we did move everything to the centre. Um, on purpose because everything happened you know it's, it's not it's not an action play right <laughs> there's no singing or dancing <laughs> in the crucible um everything everything is all words and all talking and it's normally one on one therefore it had to happen in the center we rebuilt the auditorium for that particular show right um and gave some height to a couple of the rows um and some leg extra leg room for the uh, for the other audience members so for those poor six people down in <laughs> um, uh, house right, sorry, but everybody else had definitely a great view and good leg room. <laughs> so I guess that would also uh, speak to the importance of, I, I would say, show selection, depending on the, the stage that you have to work with, the space you have to work with. But, uh, you know, I think it's something like Glengarry Glen Ross. Like Greg and I would love to produce one day. Right. Very simple set. Yep. You know, a couple of booths, a couple of chairs, a couple of office phones. Yep. You got it. You know, it's perfectly suited for a small space. And uh, then you think of some of these large musicals. Can you pull it off? You know, how much how much reality will you have to suspend? <laughs> uh, I think yeah. that's when you, you know? have to get creative, right? Yeah, if, I guess so. Uh, and we, we did that at the Jewel Box. Uh, Christiane was directing one of her shows there. And she said, Gary, can can you come up and do the set? Yeah, sure thing, sure thing. Uh, so we basically got three different scenes. And we can't change the scene mm. at the Jewel Box. I'm thinking, can we get it all on stage in one go, all three different rooms. And uh, that's what we did. We got all three rooms in their little black box. And, and that's how the show goes anyway, you know. So, uh, and, it, and it moves from room to room. And then it goes back. Mm. And uh, so that's what, and the actors would actually stay on set 
um, and the lights would just go out in their particular area and the lights would come up in the other area and the, the other actors would start acting in, in that particular area. They didn't often actually move from room to room. I think it was only the dad that actually did that at one particular time. So he had to go backstage and then come out into the other room. And we, so that's how we did it. We, that's, so that was a very interesting construction. For sure. Exercise, yeah. Yeah, you know, so if you were, and, and the jewel box is a weird little place anyway. So if you were way over on the house left there, when the action was going over on uh, stage left, that was completely opposite. And you had to look past the other two little set areas <laughs> to see that area, you know. So, uh, and, and the same for the other direction. But if you're in the, in the front section, uh, the, the good the good seats, as it were. <laughs> you're okay, you know. If you got if you got there early enough, you were in the good seats. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so we we talked about budget. We talked about I guess theater size, some physical things. So those are constraints that you have to work in. You only have so much money. You've got a, a set canvas that you have to work on that's not really going to change. What other constraints are there when it comes to set design or set building that you have to try to overcome when you're working on a show? Yeah, I mean, when we did the Scottish play, we had a particular vision of um, kind of an abstract set. And then we actually went got on stage and we tried to then, uh, you know, create that vision. It was completely useless <laughs> and it was thrown in the bin. <laughs> it didn't match the space, which was, you know, just peculiar and it just wouldn't have worked. And uh, we actually had to go back to some traditional set building, as it were. Um, although pushed way back into the wings. Again, remember, we were talking about the, the wing spaces. Uh, so we did actually, we were, we actually worked in the wings uh, for that particular production. Um, so that was very interesting to see how we managed to get that. Because it's, you know, there was only, there's no change in the set, especially being Shakespeare, you know. So that, you know, the whole stage just changes in light, really. And you kind of ignore the castle if the, if you don't need to think about the castle that's in the background. Uh, but then when the castle was being used, either as interior or exterior, then um, then it's fine, you know. But um, yeah, that was very interesting to you know to see how that was actually going to work. Don't try to match the vision to a specific, like I mentioned, canvas, a, a, a physical area. Um, I imagine is really where a lot of the creativity comes in from the design and, and build perspective outside of the, the finishing work that we talked about before, because it's, uh, you know, I, gotta, I have to imagine that's probably the biggest challenge. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, the Bloedel Reserve, um, doing the Shakespeare up there, and I've done that the last uh, six years, and we had a, a new technical director at the theatre, and it was his turn to design the set and uh, the show that uh, we were doing. And he hadn't taken into consideration the slope of the ground, and he hadn't actually measured it. So we built these things um, in the workshop, and then we took them to site, and they didn't fit. <laughs> oh, no. And um, he said, well, I, I knew it was, you know, um, one or two inches. I didn't know it was four inches. Oh. He hadn't actually measured the slope. And, and that's an outdoor theater deal mm -hmm. that, you know, but, you know, thankfully, you know, he was a builder carpenter and he's got me there as well, you know, and we can get around this and we can do this. And one of the funny things was, was um, <laughs> Juliet's, um, uh, the coffin that she lies on at the end. And we'd made it to the specifications that he'd asked and um, it didn't work at all with the slope of the field. <laughs> but lo and behold, turn it around the other way. It was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, you can't. You, you want know. you want Juliet sliding off into the first row. That <laughs> you know, would not work out well. Because I was just like, oh, I've got to rebuild that thing. It's like, it took about four hours to cut and make this thing. You know, um, to the dimensions that you actually particularly had. You know, because it's got to be carried on, carried off. It's got to be a certain weight. It's got to be a certain strength. You know, da, 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 you know, and everything. And I was like, oh, my God, I've got to rebuild that. You know, we open on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> it's Monday. You know, we're not going to squeeze this, this extra four hours somewhere to build another thing. Let's try turning it around. Turned it around. It was perfect. You mentioned a coffin. I can't. I completely didn't even think about some of the crazy stuff that you've probably had to build for some of these shows. Yeah. What, can you think of the craziest thing? And that was BPA as well when, uh, on Peter and Starcatcher. And they said, well, we've got this swing set that's, that needs to be. Because this this part of the show, it looks like it's supposed to be like a playground. Mm. Okay, fair enough. Um, you know, what's the scenic artist got there? Well, he's got a nice big swing, a big A-frame thing. Okay, well, how do we get that on and off? And, you know, and, and now it's got to be safe to actually use. Can we bolt it to the stage? Can we, you know... Can, can we do this? Wow. Can we do that? And and get it to work and to be safe for the the poor girl that's got to swing on the, the blessed thing um, because somebody's designed it and somebody upstairs has agreed, that, oh, that looks beautiful. We've got to have that, <laughs> you know. Instead there's of, always somebody upstairs. There's, there's somebody upstairs. <laughs> so that was well, and what a difference between something that's just aesthetic and something that has to be functional. Right. Well, that was, again, BPA when we did Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And uh, we were very, very lucky that they'd done the show in Puyallup um, a few years before. And somebody in their organisation at their theatre group actually built a full-size replica car, 14 feet long. Wow. The full-size real deal. And uh, he rewired it and everything. And we drove it onto the stage at BPA and turned it round on the stage in the show and everything. Uh, It was an incredible thing. But, so where do we store it? We have it on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> 14 feet of it. Um, so to, uh, and one of the, the problems that the BPA was, they didn't have a bandstand, a place to put the band. And the band always used to sit amongst the sets, normally behind the, the back proscenium uh, section. Hmm. I, I say proscenium is the wrong word, but at the back, uh, they're normally hidden. And uh, that's where they'd be. So we finally decided that we needed to build a bandstand up in the back far corner um, of that particular theatre to put the band on. And then we actually parked the car underneath. (laughs) (laughs) Again, creativity. Yeah. Well, the thing that I love about theatre is that, I mean, you're sitting right there. You do have to suspend some reality. Audiences are ready to. You know, so like you're you're saying, you need to you got to drop these lights and bring these up, and you got to look across these p- scene pieces and all those types of things. The theater audience is ready to do that, so that's got to make things nice, as opposed to maybe for film and TV, which is much more exacting. People are going to call you on on specific things. Indeed, and uh, the uh, the current one X for WWCA, in fact, the opening speech by the uh, uh, the first actor, he actually. Uh, tells a little story of how the this particular play and the building of the set right and they try to get these certain things and they couldn't get them um so now they've got to rely on whatever the theater carpenter can do for them (laughs) (laughs) which was basically not a lot (laughs) 
and he asks the audience to uh, bring their imagination right. to their aid. In, envision a train car, yeah, indeed. for Express. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we won't give it away, but the person who plays that role might be in this room. <laughs> where, where is he? Where? <laughs> to, to, <laughs> quite humorous. Some English bloke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, he does come well, well it's, qualified. It's, but I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a joke in that show, in Express. Is. But it's but you know, so you have to do uh, Murder on the Orient Express. How do you make a train car, you know, in 40 or 50 one feet? Of, that is one of my next prom, uh, projects. Is it? Because it is a play that is available now. And uh, oh. I will be putting it forward for uh, BCT. And uh, it's kind of an interesting set. Oh, uh, let us know. Uh, we yeah, love yeah, Agatha Christie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's a quick question. Right before quarantine, uh, WFCA was ready to run uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Right. The, the monster. Would that be something that was would be the the set builder's responsibility to say you don't have one like we were able to do is borrow one, rent one from uh, someone up on Bainbridge? Would that be a set designer's responsibility to build like a puppet like that? Or uh, it can be, you yeah. know, it depends on the, on on the show and uh, the director and producer. So at BCT, for instance, that's one of the the questions. You know, what what are the limitations? What are what are the problems with the, doing this show? And if that show was put forward, it would be, yeah, the puppetry. Where's it going to come from? Who's going to make it? You know, how does that come about? Do you have a specialised person that's going to do all that for you? You know, and we tend also at uh, Bremerton to also say, okay, so you're the director and you want to put on this show. So who's your team of people that are going to come with you hmm. to do all those jobs that need to be done, you know? And uh, so, um, for instance, when we did uh, the black comedy show, uh, Dan Eastis was the director for that. And I said to him, Dan, I'll be your producer. I'll take care of everything. Hmm. You can just concentrate on just the directing and the actors. I'm going to do the set. I'm going to do the props. I'm going to do the costumes for you. Uh, don't you worry. And if I can't do them, I'll get someone. You don't need to worry about it. Um, so the team was Dan and Gary. And it was the Dan and Gary show. Oh, and Tina. Tina did the painting because she's the best painter in town, right? Yeah, big time. Has yeah. you, have you ever had to outsource something that you weren't able to do? I know with, with uh, volunteer regional local theater, try to do everything, you know, by volunteer and, and within as little budget as possible. But have you ever had to outsource something? Yeah, you've always got to outsource something, yeah, at some point in time, you know. Um yeah, uh, again, at BPA, um, they were asking me to do certain things. I said, uh, I'm not a welder. I can't weld. Mm. <laughs> uh, this is a welding job. We need to find a volunteer to be able to do that. Uh, and then, thankfully, they've been around long enough, and they looked through their books, and they, they found somebody, and he came in and welded these parts together to actually create what needed to be done, you know. So that was uh, very handy. But, yeah, the, the, you normally have to... Yeah, you've got to. Yeah, you can't just say I'm going to put on a show. <laughs> you, you, there's a lot of pre-thought um, of you know, the pros and cons of you know. Uh, so, for instance, singing in the rain, one well, well, a show dear to my heart <laughs> for the tap dancing. Sure. Um, and um, you know, the big issue was, uh, are we going to make it rain on stage? Mm -hmm. So I did actually come up with a design of uh, for Bremerton um, to make it rain on stage. No kidding. And, uh, and, and thankfully, the rain happens right before the interval um, between the, you <laughs> know, the, the towels. Out, yeah. So yeah, so we can we can mop, we can mop up the excess <laughs> during the intermission. And, and if it's half an hour, well, you know, it's going to be a long intermission. You uh, picture uh, yeah. the those, like those kids at the basketball games with the big mops cleaning up the yeah. sweat when somebody <laughs> yeah, yeah. falls on the court. <laughs> But yeah, you know, so that, that, that particular show, you know, has to, how do we get around that? Who's going to design that? Who's going to plumb that? 
who's gonna you know how's that gonna happen you know and uh, if you you need to know, you need to have somebody that can do that. Yeah, and it gives an opportunity to bring the community into the community theater. Yeah, yeah exactly. And and if people are listening who have those skills, welding, uh, you know, oh, uh, absolutely. If they want to get involved, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, um, generally, uh, at Bremerton, there's a volunteer coordinator. Um, so you normally uh, uh, turn up and say hello to that person, and uh, they take your details, and uh, then they pass your details on to the uh, the next show, um, and or people that are putting on shows that particular season. Awesome. Well, if you're out there listening, you have a special skill set. Uh, now's the time as we rebuild and come out the opposite end of the tunnel from COVID. We're, uh, this is case in point right here. We're live. It feels great. It does. Uh, yeah. And Gary, thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> that, and we're all vaccinated, so it's great. I know. It feels good. Like slap around this end of things, right? <laughs> and the audio quality will be so much better for everybody, I think. <laughs> yeah. Zoom's been great because it's given us the ability to do something when otherwise we wouldn't be able to. But there's nothing like getting together with people, talking about things you love, and just... You know, yeah. sharing a drink. Absolutely. Might have to make another. Gary's Pink Thingy. Yeah. Yes. And cheers. Thank you for joining us. Cheers. All right. We learned a lot. Thank you. All right. Bye for now. Thanks again to our guest, Gary Fetterplace. You can see Gary's handiwork everywhere in Kitsap and most easily by visiting bctshow.com and lesserknownplayers.org. Join us next week for our conversation with former entertainment writer at the Los Angeles Times, specializing in classic Hollywood stories, Susan King. And if you enjoy the show, make sure to follow us and share the podcast with a friend. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Amazon Audible, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We'd love to hear from you, so please join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter and email us with thoughts and comments at heilmanandhaver at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for supporting local theater and for joining us here on Heilman and Haver. 